0: So, Mike mentioned it is Family Sunday. On 5th Sundays, we bring all our kiddos in here. We've got lots of kiddos in here today. Alright? We're glad y'all are here. And I'm telling you, thank you, worship leaders. Because I don't... You kids, listen to me. What you just heard is much better at describing God than what I'm going to say. Those songs y'all picked out today, I hope y'all listen to those words. That's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. So thank y'all. Great, great set of songs. Appreciate it so much. And I too want to remind us all, it it is Memorial Day weekend. I'm very grateful for those who uh, gave their lives so that we could actually sit here in freedom today and worship our God. very grateful for that. And uh, any of y'all who have lost someone because of that, our condolences with you and our gratitude is with you and your family. Well, we're going to continue uh, on our sermon and called Vision Reconstruction. And we're looking at the writing of Nehemiah. And I know you kiddos have got some things y'all are supposed to be looking at. So, Nehemiah, make sure you mark that one off. All right? So I said that. And uh, it's a great story. And I uh, want to welcome all of those uh, maybe who are here for the first time. We're grateful that you're here. If you haven't been here, that's okay. We've been going through this writing of Nehemiah Old Testament. And uh, it's a great story of a a man who had uh, incredible leadership and vision that he shared. um, And we've been going through that, so we're going to continue that um, today. Um, Andy Stanley, in his book, Visioneering, which is about the book of Nehemiah, the writings of Nehemiah, uh, shares a story in that book from one of his uh, fellow staff members at the time, whose name was Lane Jones. And he talks about being in college in a uh, speech class Probably many of you have been in a speech class, whether in high school or college, and you remember those. It's kind of intimidating because at some point during that class, you've got to get up in front of the whole class and give a speech on, on something. Well, he talked about uh, this particular year in his life, uh, one of the hot topics in the culture was abortion, and there were several speeches given on that during uh, the, speech, uh, the speeches that were given. And after the speeches, people were able to... Um, discuss a little bit and debate a little bit after they gave their speech. We said there was an older student in their um, class. She wasn't a lot older than everybody, but maybe four or five years older than than some of the regular college-age students. And uh, she was giving her speech uh, on abortion. And it was obviously a Christian from her comments, uh, very uh, deep in her faith. And towards the end of the speech, she challenged... And the accepted exceptions to abortion with uh, uh, some kind of a, a violent um, uh, in, in incest or possible death of the mother's life. Always, well, except in these cases, some people are okay in accepting that. Well, even her pro-life advocates in the class at this point were a little uncomfortable with her comments. Saying, even in those situations... Um, where there was an assault or or, or something like that. They were uncomfortable with that. And, of course, the pro-choice folks in the class were ready for her to finish so they could pounce on her with that uh, in a debate, seemingly opening up an easy target for them. But then as she got towards the end, she said this, A couple of years ago, my life was shattered when I was violently assaulted. And as a result of that assault, I became pregnant. And then she pulled out a five-by-seven picture of a small child of obvious racial makeup and introduced him by name as her son. And she said, he is the joy of my life, and I cannot imagine life without him. And she closed by reiterating her position that abortion under any circumstances, in her opinion, was unacceptable. And then she sat down. The class was eerily quiet, All of those who were ready to make a rebuttal and debate about her really had nothing to say. And so the professor walked back up to the podium, paused for a moment, said, The most powerful argument a speaker can make is one from personal experience. How true is that? You see, she had something that is lost in our culture today it's called moral authority. Do we really even know what moral authority is? Do you know somebody that you would say has moral authority in your life? We probably all do. And when we talk about moral authority, that is something that doesn't come from an accomplishment or a position. But it's when someone consistently in their life aligns their values and their convictions with their behavior and actions. Do you know anybody like that? Someone who consistently aligns their conviction or values with their behavior and their action. It's authentically what we would say walking your talk. You don't just say these things you believe and feel convicted about. You actually live them out in everyday life like this woman did. That gives you sustained influence on people. That inspires people. That motivates people to follow you as a leader, as a friend, as a person, and your vision when you do that. But here's an interesting question Listen carefully to the question. Can we consistently align our convictions and our values through our behavior and actions and those values and actions be destructive or wrong? Do you hear what I'm asking? And the answer is yes. Of course. You ever heard of a guy named Hitler? Hitler had, yes, had warped values and convictions, didn't he? Absolutely. Absolutely. And consistently he aligned those warped values and convictions with his behavior and his actions, didn't he? He aligned those two. And there were people who aligned with him with those same values and convictions. And many people came together for that. And we know that as the genocide called the Holocaust. Because of that, that's what took place. Thankfully... There were others called the Allies with a completely different set of values and convictions and they aligned together with their actions to stop Hitler and those aligned with him. Aren't you glad? Aren't we glad? Many from our country lost their lives fighting for those values and convictions. There are people right now who have a set of values and convictions that align perfectly with their behavior and their actions. But guess what? They are completely in violation of state and federal laws. There are people right now who have a set of values and convictions that perfectly align with their actions and behavior, but guess what? They do not line up at all with God's Word. And I say all that to say this. This is where our culture today and Nehemiah's culture of hundreds of years ago really have some commonality. Because the same thing that was happening in Nehemiah's culture is certainly happening in our culture. See, the Jewish people had allowed the culture. The reason they were in exile, the reason that they got brought, took away from Jerusalem and their temple was completely destroyed. And they went into exile for some 100, at least 70 years. And now it's 150 years later with Nehemiah bringing people back and trying to restore the city of Jerusalem and rebuild those walls. That all happened because the Jewish people had allowed the culture, the people around them to slowly change their set of values, to slowly change their convictions, and then slowly but surely they changed their actions and behavior. That's what's happening in our culture, y'all. It's a slow process, but it is certainly happening. God had told them from the very beginning when we go to the Old Testament and God says, I'm choosing you Israel, not because you're better than anybody else, but because I had to choose somebody to reflect who I was as God and to project that to the rest of the world on what, who I am, the character I have and reflect that to the rest of the world. I've chosen you to do that and you is what's going to happen. You're going to want to take all the values of those around you, but you're a holy people. You are set apart. You are to be different. All those values and convictions that people have around you, those are wrong. I want you to have these and reflect to them what the real values of their creator is. And he chose them. And he told them it would happen. And those... Those uh, values reflected God's character as their creator because God was the creator of humanity and the world. And He alone knew and knows what is best and what works for us as creation because He created us. And as long as Israel trusted in God, they flourished. Things were good. Relationship with God was good. But as long as they stayed true to their identity as God's holy people and reflected that and reflected God... They lived who they really were, their true identity. But when they went outside of that, when they fell into the trap of their enemies or those who lived around them that had different values and different actions and ultimately were out of relationship with God, that took them out of relationship with God too. And it hurt their relationship. They were not being who they were created to be. They were being somebody else. And we see in Nehemiah a call to Israel to come back to their true identity. That is really what this wall project they're doing is all about. It wasn't just about building back a wall. But it was saying, you have let the walls down. You have let all these people come in and change your values and your convictions. And ultimately, they have changed your behavior. And you've become somebody that's not even you. And see, that's what's happening in our world today, y'all. We are becoming people that's not really even us. Why do you think there's so much depression and anxiety and these kind of things in our culture right now? Because people are trying to be somebody that they're not. Look at social media. I mean, it makes me angry. And I know it shouldn't be that way. You know, oh, gosh, this old guy is going to preach about all that stuff. But I see people on there trying to be, yeah, I know some of it's funny and cute and all that, but some people are really they constantly are looking at how many people are watching this. And I'm a loser if nobody saw my TikTok today. Because we really don't know who we are. We've fallen for an identity that's not really us. And so Nehemiah said, y'all... This is why we got exiled. We started to become somebody that we're not. It's not our true identity. We started to worship the other gods and try to do this smorgasbord of things. Like, I'll have a little of this God and a little of this God and a little of this God. And then, hey, God, I'm still good with you. And God goes, no, I'm not good with you because that's not who I am. I am a jealous God and I'm the only God. And those gods didn't create you, they didn't create this world. I did. I'm the one that brings you salvation, not them. And so this was more than a wall project. It was a spiritual project. After this long exile of not having freedom, not having their true identity, they had a chance to repent, to come back to God, to return to those values and behaviors that really reflected who they were to begin with. And Nehemiah had this godly moral authority among the people because of his consistent alignment of his godly-centered faith and his godly-centered values and convictions with his actions and behaviors. What he said was just and right according to God's laws. According to God's word. And he actually followed that in his life and actions. That's why he had moral authority with the people. You remember last week we talked about. There were people who were taking slaves from their own brothers and sisters in Jerusalem during a famine. They were charging people interest during a famine on food. They were even having to sell some of their sons and daughters and sell their fields and their vineyards and their homes. And Nehemiah goes, what in the world? How are we reflecting God's character when we're doing that to our own people? You're not being who you were called to be. Stop. And he said, give the people their land back. Give them their vineyards back. Give them the money you stole from them in interest. Give it back to them. And everybody, as you remember last week, said, okay. And you go, that that didn't really happen. That's a fairy tale. Nobody would just go, okay, we'll do it. But they did. You know why? Because they respected Nehemiah because he had moral authority. Because we didn't read this part last week, but the second half of chapter 5 Nehemiah says, I was in Jerusalem for 12 years. We're only reading about the first 52 days in the last few weeks. But he was there for 12 years, and he was the governor for 12 years. And all the governors before Nehemiah took advantage of people. He charged them exorbitant taxes. He had all this extra food brought in just for him and his people. But Nehemiah never did any of that. He, and he, got, he had some allotment for food, but he he let 150 common people come in and be a part of that. He never taxed them. He never bought property. He never did anything that those before him did. And the people went, who is this guy? He really walks what he talks. And he had moral authority. And that's why they changed. And this is something that we all struggle with in our lives. We will never be perfect. I know that. But what God calls us to do is to be consistent. But not if we don't recognize and follow God's clear standards. But here's how we have to follow those. You got to know them. You got to trust them. You got to believe them. When a culture has multiple standards and no consistency among those standards, there is chaos. Do you realize that's what's going on in our culture? Hey, you identify with that feeling and this feeling and that thing. I just identify with all this. So we have all these standards out there. Hey, that's good for you, but not necessarily for me. I think that's good. Do you see what happens? Do you see that that's making people more Peaceful in their lives and more together? I don't see that. That's why we have to recognize that God as the creator has a standard. That we all have to come around and say, yeah, he's the creator. That's who we, that's who we listen to. That's who we are. We're his children. Children of the King. So we have this identity crisis. When God is not recognized, worshipped, and followed as creator and Lord, guess what? We're going to follow and we're going to worship and we're going to recognize other things and people. And what we're having in our culture is is people go after those things and they worship them and they follow them. And then guess what? They're left more empty than before. Yeah, I thought this would bring me happiness. I got 12,000 likes today, but I'm still not happy because that's not who you are. That's not who you are. And that's what happened to Israel. And because of their choices to ignore and betray God, they were sent into exile to live and sit in their consequences of their behavior for a while. But God still loved them. He never gave up on them. There's always an alternative hope for the future with God. Nehemiah shared God's vision to get them back on track with their true identity and purpose. They had embraced the vision and started to shape their identity again. Remember, he's saying, these walls have been sitting here for, for 100 years, 150 years broken down, and you guys are just good with living in that. That's not who you are. Well, I know, but you know the walls are broken down just the way it is. We're just going to live like its No, that's not what God called you to be and do in your life. We're going to fix these walls. And people started getting around that. They heard his story, his vision that was obviously from God, and they said, We're on board, and they start rebuilding these walls. Yes, there were people outside who tried to stop them. And last week, we learned about the people that were these internal issues within them that were trying to stop this, that threatened the unity and the vision. But that's when Nehemiah stepped in and called them out and used his moral authority and said, we're not going to do that here. We're going to move forward with what God has called us to do. So today we're going to look at chapter 6 of Nehemiah and we see another attempt by some of the enemies who are looking outside and going, what's going on in Jerusalem? Why are they rebuilding these walls? Why are they becoming unified and becoming a people again? We don't like this. We like them being in chaos. And so they're trying to stop this. So we're going to look at chapter 6. And I'm going to start in verse 1. Thank you all. You all can read along on the screen or on your personal Bibles or tablets. When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. Though up to that time I had not set the doors and gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in the villages, in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying out I am carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sambelot sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore, you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now, this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. I sent, this, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You were just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I replied, but I prayed. There he is, he's always praying. Now strengthen my hands. One day when the, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehedabel, I know I'm butchering the names, forgive me, who was shut, in his, shut up in his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you by night. They are coming to kill you. But I said, why should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambelat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sambelat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So, listen to this. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Do you realize what happened? 150 years, these walls have been broken down. And in less than two months, 52 days, they've been rebuilt. How does that happen? How does something like that happen? Well, Nehemiah said it was because of our God. But in our text today, Nehemiah has to deal with several things that we all have to deal with in life. The first thing is is opportunities. Opportunities are going to come our way and that are going to distract us from doing what God's really called us to do, what's really important in our lives, and we're going to get distracted And then there's also going to be false accusations. There's going to be criticism from people. When we're trying to do what God's called us to do or what's most important in our lives, people are going to make accusations against us and criticize us to try to get us off track. And then when that doesn't work, they will use fear and intimidation to try to get us off track. So the key phrase in this text is something that we all need. If you don't hear anything else I said today, remember this phrase and use it in your life. I am carrying on a great project and I cannot come down. That's a great phrase to use in your life. And you're going to have to say it to people in your lives sometime and mean it. So the first thing they do is they say, come on, Nehemiah, meet with us down. Let's let's have coffee. Let's go on a little golf uh, outing and uh, let's cook steaks together. Let's do that. That's not what they wanted him to do. They wanted him to get out of Jerusalem, get out of the project, meet them somewhere. And they were literally thinking about killing him if he would come out of the project. But he was locked into the vision of the wall. But more importantly, he was locked into God's values and God's convictions. And God gave him discernment and knowing this is not a a friendly get-together. This is something they're trying to stop, the vision of God. They didn't really want to to get together with him for peaceful reason. But he didn't fall for the distraction, did he? He was able to say, I'm carrying out a great project and I'm not going to go down to meet with you. Four times they tried it and it didn't work. So then, you saw on the fifth time, it says, Nehemiah, you're plotting a revolt to make yourself king. Notice what they did. Did you notice in there it says they were, he was handed an unsealed letter. I don't know if you all know the significance of that. But in those days, if a letter was sealed, like we might know, um, probably some of you younger ones know how you seal an envelope and lick it, right? You seal it so nobody can get into it know what's in the letter. You might understand that. But even further back, you had a seal, like a wax seal. Somebody would, would drip some wax to, to close the letter, see, and they would seal it with some kind of uh, stamp that had like maybe their, uh, um, you know, their letters of their name on it or something like that. But in this day, they had clay, and if it was a letter that no one else was supposed to see except for the here, they would seal it. And so people know, oh, I'm not supposed to read that. But if it was unsealed, that meant no matter how many messengers carried it to whoever it was to finally get to Nehemiah, they could read it. There was a reason for this. Why do you think they wanted to do that? Well, everybody's going to read that and go, Nehemiah is leading a revolt. He's trying to become king. So everybody's reading this. It wasn't true. And whether you liked Trump or hated Trump or whatever you think of him, his term, fake news, this was fake news. This was not happening. This was not true, but they were spreading this around, trying to make Nehemiah look bad. And he's trying to he's trying to instigate a revolt. He wants to be king, but again, Nehemiah locked into his godly values and convictions. He did not let this false accusation, these um, uh, these criticisms, deter him, distract him from the project. This was a serious accusation. Kings get real nervous when they hear somebody else is saying, they're the king. Do you all remember this when Jesus was born? Do you remember? Herod heard the wise men say, hey, where is the one born king of the Jews? And they go, he goes, king? What do you mean? Well, go find him. And when you find him, let me know so I may worship him. What he really meant was what? I want to kill him. That's what he meant. Remember when Jesus was brought before Pilate, the people were saying, this man claims to be king. There is no king but Caesar. And Pilate got real nervous when he heard that. Oh, so you're going to let this guy claim to be king? And then Pilate got real nervous because of that intimidation and that fear. And what did he do? He caved. Okay, but I'm washing my hands of this. But no, he was a part because he didn't have the same values and convictions. So we see that, again, this false accusation. Nehemiah says, you're just making it up out of your head. It's not real. It's not legitimate. And he says, I'm carrying on a great project, and I will not go down. And then Nehemiah has another guy, a prophet, who comes in, who turns out to be a false prophet. He goes, Nehemiah, there's people who want to kill you. Now, that was true. But they're coming tonight, and they're going to kill you in your bed. So you need to run to the temple and hide in there. Well, the only people that could go into the temple without authorization was who? Priests. Nehemiah was not a priest. So they were trying to lure him to go into there and ruin his moral authority. And he goes, I know the law, dude. I'm not a priest. I can't go in there. That's against the law. I'm not going to do that. Now, there was an exception in the Jewish law where if you had accidentally killed someone and you could flee to the altar, and and you could maybe be saved if people found out it was an accident. But this was not one of those situations. So Nehemiah knew the law. He didn't grow up in Jerusalem. He grew up in Babylon to a pagan king, but he still knew the law, and he still had those values and those convictions throughout his life. And so he knew that they were just trying to get him to go in out of fear and intimidate him. And then he says another thing, why would I run for my enemies? A few chapters ago, you remember, he said, when there was a threat from the outside, they said, hey, the people hear what we're doing, and they're going to try to come in here and and stop us. And Nehemiah said, what's wrong with you guys? You know, don't be scared of that. God is with us. He goes, you take a hammer in one hand and a sword in another, and you defend your, your wives. You defend your daughters and your brothers, your land, your city. You defend what's yours. Fight for it. So after he told them that, if he ran into the temple, what would everybody think of his courage? And his leadership, not much. So he goes, what you're saying is not true. I'm carrying on a great project and I will not go into that temple. And then we read finally after more than 100 years, 150 years where this wall has laid in ruins. In 52 days, they finally rebuild it. And this is huge. I want to go back and read what the people said. How did that happen? How did it lie in ruins for 150 years? But that shows you what a lack of vision can do to a people for long periods of time. But when they finally saw, I'm going to read this again from verse 15, uh, verse 16. When our enemies heard about this, that the wall had been rebuilt in 52 days, less than two months, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence See, they were trying to break down Israel's self-confidence and Nehemiah, but now theirs was gone because they realized that this work had been done with the help of who? Our God. It's personal. He's a personal God that wants to help us in what he's called us to do in life. So what I want us to think about today, we all will have distractions in our life that have the potential to erode our values and our convictions or even our vision for our life and our families and our careers. There will always be those things. There will be opportunities. This is the opportunity. I remember being in college and studying and hating every minute of it. And you have somebody that comes in and goes, Hey, man, let's go whatever it was. Y'all remember those days? And they're trying to distract you And have an opportunity. You go. Oh, man, I got a test tomorrow. Really? Oh, come on, man. And they start putting the pressure on you. And I remember succumbing to that. And not doing very well on my test. But it happens. And that's a small thing. But can you imagine some of you are going to have opportunities presented to you. And you're going to know what you're supposed to be doing. You're going to know what you're called to do. But you're going to be distracted by that opportunity. it may not be necessarily a bad thing. But it's not what God has called you to do in the moment. And you don't want to go back later and say, if only I had stayed in the library and studied. If only I had not gone to that party. If only I had went back to my room and went to sleep on that business trip. If only I had gone there instead of there. If only I had said this and not that. That opportunity presented itself and I messed up. And then there's going to be criticism and false accusations. Maybe when you don't take the opportunities, then people get kind of frustrated. Oh, come on, Craig, you're really going to be a nerd and study all night? And they're going to falsely accuse you and all this kind of stuff. And that's going to happen, too. They're going to give you criticism. And you've got to stand up and know what your convictions are, what your values are. Even in the midst of that criticism and false accusations. So where in your life, in spite of those situations, do you need to say, do I need to say, I'm carrying out a great project and I cannot go down? That's different for all of us, isn't it? I can't tell you where you need to say that. You can't tell me where I need to see that, but we know where it is. And I want us to start thinking about what the great work or project is in our lives that we can't stop for something else. Think about that for a minute. Or what are we doing in our lives that we need to stop and start working on a great project? Some of us are doing some things in our lives that are not a great project. It's not necessarily bad or evil, but it's not the great project that God's called us to do. I'm called to be a preacher, but let me tell you all this. I fail at being a father because sometimes I fail my family as a father and a husband because that's a greater thing than being a minister. And sometimes I need to say, I'm doing a great work as a father and a husband. I need to come down from some of this church stuff. And maybe some of y'all need to do that in your jobs. Yeah, your job is going to be a lot of money. It's going to be great. But what's happening to your family and your your relationships as a result? People have overcome distractions and stayed true to godly values and convictions. And we remember them for it. We remember Nehemiah because he did that. We remember that girl I talked about in the speech class. I think about somebody like Mother Teresa. Who never lost sight of the vision that God had given her for taking care of the poorest of the poor. And I think about today, this weekend, those who gave their lives for our freedoms. They were willing to die and go to places that none of us would ever want to go and do things that none of us would ever want to do so that we could sit here in freedom today. And they did it. And ultimately, Jesus never lost sight of his vision for your salvation, my salvation, for the whole world's salvation. He never lost sight that I need to restore them to God. They can't do it on their own. They can't do it. They have to have me to restore them. Jesus had opportunities to move away from God's plan, didn't he? He was tempted just like me and you, but was without sin. He never lost focus. Jesus was falsely accused over and over again. Think about all the things they accused Jesus of. He experienced fear and intimidation, but he pushed on. He took all of that on so that you and I could be restored, forgiven, and enjoy our true identity in him as sons and daughters of the creator of the universe, the giver of salvation. So today, we're going to offer an opportunity. Maybe there's somebody here today that you're thinking, you know what? I'm not doing a great work with my life. It's kind of a mess. And Jesus calls you to something. I'll I'll straighten that out. But you've got to surrender to me. And you've got to say, I'm putting that old life away. I'm I'm coming down from that old way of life, and I'm going to do something greater. And that's why Jesus came.